I invite you to turn to our scripture passage this morning. You can find it in your Bible in Luke 18 or on your in your bulletin on page 3. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our study in the book of Numbers and taking these, these services leading up to uh, Resurrection Sunday to go into the Gospel of Luke and, and look at some episodes from the life of Jesus. In particular, we're going to try to try to match the calendar as best we can. Uh, so as, as we're getting ready for, for Resurrection Sunday, uh, we're going to kind of trace things along. So here we are two weeks from Easter. And so considering this morning, what was Jesus up to about two weeks before he was raised from the dead? And then next Sunday, what was he up to a week before? Monday, Thursday, what was he up to a couple days before? And right up to Resurrection Sunday. So here, uh, this morning, Luke 18, uh, the dates are a little bit approximate on this one, but we'll get more precise in services to come. But uh, this was going on about two weeks uh, before uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. So we'll read it together, Luke 18, verses 31 to 43. Uh, let's, let's read God's word together. And taking the twelve... He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. Uh, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him, uh, in front, rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, have son of, or son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Well, let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge that this is your word, and we're talking about your son. And so we pray that you would shine the light of your, uh, of your word, you would fill us with your spirit, that we might understand and see and rejoice we pray, all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Who is this Jesus? There really is no more important question that we could wrestle with. Who is this Jesus? Because if Jesus is who the Bible says he is, then it really changes everything. Everything about the world, everything about our world. Uh, 
So who is he? And that's what we're going to be looking at in these next uh, couple weeks. Who is he? Do you know who he is? Could you, could you explain who Jesus is uh, to someone who doesn't quite understand? Could you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is? Or do you just need to be reminded of who he is and how it makes a difference? Well, that's what we're going to do the next couple weeks. We're going to follow Jesus along in the calendar and, and ask ourselves at every point, what is being shown to us? What is being revealed about who this Jesus is? And show how it connects to, to our world, through our lives. So this, this first episode, again, approximately two weeks before uh, the resurrection of Christ. And we find Jesus uh, beginning to make his way, or actually on his way, to Jerusalem. So three different aspects of who Jesus is we'll look at this morning. Here's the first. Jesus is the one who accomplishes the Father's plan. Accomplishes the Father's plan. So Jesus gathers the 12 disciples together, and he reminds them of where they're going. So you see it right there, verse 31. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, Luke tells us that this journey actually began all the way back in chapter 9. That's when, that's when Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's when he started the journey, all the way back in chapter 9. So here they are. They're on the way. But Jesus stops, gathers the, the 12 together to remind them of where they're going. So clearly he's making a point. Right? Remember where we're going, right? What's he reminding them of? Well, he's reminding them of what's going to happen there. And so he says... That he will, he's referring to himself, the Son of Man. It's one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. That he will suffer and die and rise. Now, Jesus has talked about his suffering and death before to his disciples. This isn't the first time he's mentioned it. But this time he is far more detailed than he's ever been. Can you take in just how detailed he gets? So verse 32 he says, what's going to happen in Jerusalem? I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles, mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, killed, the third day rise. That's a lot of detail. And, and of course, you and I, we know the end of the story, but, but they're getting this some two weeks before it happens. And he's giving them this much detail. Well, you know, this is what's going to happen. And he makes the list. And he actually emphasizes that the, the list didn't originate in that moment, that the list comes from the Old Testament prophets. This is what the prophets were saying. So not just two weeks before, he goes to the, the prophets hundreds of years before. This is what they were predicting. This is what God's spirit in them was, was saying would happen, must happen. So, so you get what he's emphasizing. That, that what's about to take place when they arrive in Jerusalem? It is the plan. God laid it down. Not just a couple weeks before. Uh, he, he revealed the plan hundreds of years before. This is the plan. That's what's going to take place. 
Think of how, think of how important that actually is for, for the disciples. Because what's about to take place is, is, is pretty much the nightmare scenario for the disciples. You gotta, you gotta remember a little bit that, you know, they, they, they saw Jesus as, as, as the king who they, who was gonna come and was going to bring in the, the new age, bring in victory for God's people, the, the great Messiah who was to come, and they, and they were excited about what was happening. They saw all the miracles. They were not only friends with him, but they, they, they saw him as, he's our king. Going to Jerusalem, right? That's what kings do. Sit on the throne. It's really going to happen. And then what Jesus tells them is actually going to happen. Pretty much the nightmare scenario. That the Messiah is actually going to be rejected by his people. So rejected that he's going to be handed over to the unclean Gentiles, right? The hated Romans, so rejected by his people, he's going to hand it over to them. And not just that, he's going to be so shamefully treated, but as shamefully treated as you can imagine. Hurt, tortured, killed. Right? This is, this is like the nightmare scenario for the descendants. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that tends to think in those categories. You look ahead and, and you think, what would be the worst thing that could possibly happen? And you kind of create the details in your head. Um, well, th this would basically be it for the disciples. And Jesus says, yeah, that's what's going to happen. But he emphasizes, it's not the world out of control. It's not the darkness winning. It's actually the plan. It's the Father's will. This is, this is the kingdom going forward. This is exactly what God wants and what God's bringing about. Yes, there's evil, and we're going to see the ugliness and the evil, but, but, but God, so sovereign, so powerful, so good, that he's going to be accomplishing exactly his plan, his rescue of his people. So he's getting them ready. He's laying it out. Now, verse 34 tells us that they don't get it at this point, that they don't understand what he's talking about. Um, we do see that on the other side of the resurrection, it clicks. In fact, if you go to the book of Acts and you look at the, the preaching of the early church, the, these 12 men preaching the gospel after Jesus rose, you see one of the things they really emphasize is that the Old Testament tells us, the prophets predicted that he had to be rejected and would be killed and then rise. They, they emphasize this is a key part of it. Right? They get it. They get it. This is, this is the plan. Uh, this is not... Uh, the darkness winning. And that's important as we as we retrace the journey, as we make our way through the events of these final days. Yeah, there's a lot of ugliness and evil, but it's not the world out of control. It's not darkness winning. It's actually Jesus accomplishing the plan. Jesus isn't the victim. Jesus is in charge accomplishing what uh, what the Father laid out. And what an encouragement that is to us, to know that here at the climax of God's plan, it happened exactly according to plan, but also it's an encouragement to, to us in, our, in the midst of the darkness of our lives. Maybe, maybe it feels like you're, you're currently living through part of the nightmare scenario that you, you dread. 
or, or at least just some really ugly, dark things. Maybe you feel like, yeah, that's where I live right now. Well, be encouraged, believer, that the, the same God who was at work in every detail of the life of Jesus, having, having it planned out so that the darkness didn't win, so that God's kingdom advanced, that's the same God who's at work in your life. That's the same God who's, who's sovereign over all the details, advancing his plan. Be encouraged. So who is this Jesus? He's the one who accomplishes the Father's plan. Secondly, he's the one who welcomes the outcasts. Welcomes the outcasts. So this is the very next episode uh, in Luke's Gospel. Jesus coming into Jericho. Jericho's on the way to Jerusalem. There's a major trade route that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jesus is going to walk that road. So he's on his way. He's going to stop along the way. And on his way, he encounters this individual on the roadside, a blind beggar. Mark's gospel actually tells us that his name is Bartimaeus, um, but, but Luke, it's just, it's just blind man. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a blind beggar on the side of the road. Now, the very fact that, that he's there on the roadside heading into the city begging, that tells you something about his world. Uh, it tells you that everyone is forgotten about. It tells you that there is no one in his life that's caring for him. Otherwise, he wouldn't be there on the side of her begging, right? So he, he, he's got no one. He's been, he's been cast out. Uh, he's, he's, on, he's on the fringes. Um, in fact, the crowd is very quick to remind him of, of how, how much of an outcast he is. I mean, think, think of the, the, the message here. here is, here's Bartimaeus. Here's the blind man who hears that the, the great famous healer is coming near, and he starts calling out to them. And what does the crowd do but tell him to be quiet? They're reminding him of how how unimpressive and how, how much they think he's really not worth any of this. Be quiet. You're not important. This is a, this is a big theme in the book of Luke. Luke seems to go out of his way to mention that Throughout the life of Jesus, uh, there, there are these individuals that come across his path, and it's all the outcasts of society. It's all those who, in, in the day, not because they are outcasts or are unworthy or, or unclean, but this is how society viewed them. Every single group in that day that, that was considered less than, not quite as good enough, not quite as important, not quite as significant, they all come across Jesus. Shepherds, women, lepers, scandalous sinners, children, widows, Samaritans, Gentiles, blind men, blind beggars. And Luke lines them all up throughout his gospel. And Jesus runs into to each one of, uh, one of these uh, representatives, each of these groups. They've been cast out by society, thought as less than, not important, so the big question is, well, how is Jesus going to treat them? And it's, it's more than just society dynamics. Uh, it's far bigger than that. Uh, it's, it, these are spiritual pictures. We, we've, we've gotten a little bit used to that in our study of the book of Numbers, how, how God can use uh, physical, external things 
to be pictures of spiritual truths, even if the external things aren't moral in and of themselves. Remember how we talked in Numbers about leprosy and how it's, it's, it's not sinful to have leprosy, but it formed this spiritual picture of sin being unclean? Well, that's what we have with, with blindness. Um, there's not something that this guy's especially sinful, but, but, but it forms this kind of spiritual picture. This is, this is a picture of the result of sin, right? Because of, our, because of our rejection of the Lord as a people and as individuals, because of our, uh, our, our being cast out of his presence, because we flee and we're judged for our sin, right? We're, we're, we're filled with, with darkness, we are those who, who don't see the truth because we've rejected it. Uh, we're, we're, filled with, we're filled with darkness. We are those who are, who are outcasts, separated from the presence of God by nature. So we, we kind of get to, get to this blind man, and there's a real sense in which we can look at him and say, oh yeah, that's me, spiritually. Apart from some rescue of God, that's me. In darkness... Having, having no help, having no hope, kept at a distance, that's us spiritually, because of our sin. Nothing particularly impressive about us, that we could come before Jesus and be like, look, look, God, look, Jesus, I got this really neat thing, this will impress you. Uh, no. Uh, spiritually speaking, we have nothing impressive to bring before God. So, uh, so again, we kind of see a little window that this is me, this is us. And in light of this, we get the real shocking part of the story is Jesus stops. Jesus welcomes this one. The one that everyone else didn't have time for, not worthy enough, keep at a distance. Jesus stops, gives him time, calls him to himself. Right? He does the very thing that the crowd claims he doesn't deserve. And again, we're, we're, if we see, we see ourselves in this blind man, uh, we, we could ask that question. Why, why should Jesus stop for me? Why would he stop for me? Can you make the connection of how this relates to our first point? Okay, first point was all about Jesus laying out the plan. Going to go to Jerusalem going to be rejected, handed over, cruelly treated, killed. In other words, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to be treated like an outcast. The very thing that Jesus does not deserve to be treated as. And he is the one who is righteous, who is holy, who should be accepted and welcomed. He's going to get treated like an outcast. Yeah, exactly. That's the plan. Because he gets treated like an outcast, so that bearing that, that identity and the guilt and, the, and the, the, the judgment that comes from that spiritual reality, bearing that, uh, Jesus is treated like an outcast, so he can welcome and save outcasts. This is, this is our hope, right? Uh, it's not that we're good enough that maybe Jesus would welcome us. It's that Jesus went to be treated like an outcast in order to welcome and save us. He took the judgment we deserve so that we can be welcomed and transformed. Which leads us kind of right into the next, uh, to the next point. So who is this Jesus? He's the one who welcomes outcasts. 
Uh, and three, the one who gives new life to those with nothing. The one who gives new life to those with nothing. We can kind of break this down into two parts. Uh, talk about nothing, but having nothing but faith in Christ, and then talking about the new life. So, verse 41, Jesus calls him and says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Kind of a strange question, isn't it? The blind guy comes up to Jesus. What, what, what do you want me to do? Jesus isn't being standoffish. He's not being difficult. He's, he's doing what he almost always does when he encounters people. He's drawing out their faith. He's, he's, he's challenging and developing their faith. He wants this guy to verbalize it. I need you, Jesus. I, 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 can, you, can you give me something? Right? What did Jesus teach? Asking you shall receive. And so he's drawing it out. I'd like to recover my sight. And Jesus, he doesn't wait. He's right. The point is not to keep this guy hanging or twisting in the wind. Immediately we're told. Jesus, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And he recovers his sight. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Uh, this, again, it's a picture of salvation. If the blindness was a picture of us in our sin, then his recovery of sight is a picture of salvation, rescue uh, for us from sin. In fact, actually, the word in verse 42, your faith has made you well, it's the same word as save. Your faith has saved you. Right? So this is a picture of salvation by faith and faith alone. So it's actually a good place to kind of stop and investigate what faith really looks like, what saving faith looks like. Because uh, you get a great picture of it here. What does it look like to have faith in Jesus? Well, several aspects just come right out of this, of this picture. So look, uh, for, first of all, uh, at, at the blind man, at Bartimaeus, and where his focus is. His focus is on Jesus and who Jesus is. Right? He, he, he cries out, Jesus, son of David. Says it again, even louder. Son of David. Bartimaeus is actually the only one in Luke's gospel who calls Jesus by this title, Son of David. Um, though, the, though the angel Gabriel, to talking to Mary, hints of it, or you know, kind of puts those things connect together before the birth of Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus is, is going to be the he's going to be the son, he's going to be the descendant of his father David, who sits on the throne. Yeah. It's this idea coming from the Old Testament, the promise of God, that there is going to be a descendant of David, a, a son of David, who's going to be not just a king, but the king, the final king, the king that's going to reign forever, the king that's going to bring in the fullness of God's transformed, rescuing, saving kingdom, the king that everyone's been waiting for. And here is this blind man, and he says... You're that guy. I know it. I, you're that guy. He trusts that this is the Savior. This is, this is the King. And that's what his focus is. right? His, his, the focus of his faith is on who Jesus is. Right? So when we, when we say that, that faith saves, um, it, it's faith in Christ that saves. It's not because... Faith is this thing 
magic thing that rescues. It's who you have your faith in. Right? Faith isn't very impressive. It's only as impressive as the object. And here, this blind man, his, uh, his focus is all on Jesus. Son of David. Right? He cries out to him. No one else can save him. But this, this Jesus can. And it's a, it's a cry for mercy, which is what saving faith is. A cry for, for mercy, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he repeats it again. Son of David, have mercy on me. Mercy. In other words, he's acknowledging this is not something he deserves. This is not Jesus, take a look at me. I, I, I've suffered so much, I deserve this. Or Jesus, take a look. I'm so spiritually impressive that, that you really ought to do this for me. No, I don't deserve this. Have mercy. Have mercy. This is a really vivid example of what Jesus has just taught in a parable. It's in, it's in earlier in Luke, in Luke 18 that Jesus teaches this famous parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Now, kids, do you remember that? Do you remember that story that Jesus tells? About two guys who go to a temple to pray, go to the temple to pray, right? essentially going before God, two individuals, but they're very different. One's a Pharisee, which, which means everybody thought, this is a guy who's really holy. He's dedicated his whole life to knowing the law and following God. Oh, that's a holy guy. And then there's the tax collector, who's pretty awful. Sinned in a lot of really awful ways. A thief, a traitor. Two guys go to the temple to pray. And remember, the Pharisee, he comes with his list. He comes before God, ah, yeah, God, thank you, that I'm not like other men, because look what I've done, look what I've got. God, I tithe, tenth of everything, right? fast twice a week, I'm not like this guy. The Pharisee comes with his list. Whereas the, the tax collector, he comes with nothing. He just cries out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. And remember, Jesus gives the, the verdict that it's the guy who comes with nothing who walks away right with God, who walks away forgiven and righteous. The guy who came with nothing, he walks away rescued. And then all of a sudden we get blind Bartimaeus. And he does the same thing. Right? He comes to Jesus and essentially like, yeah, Jesus, I got nothing. Have mercy on me. And he's saved. He, he's made well. His, his eyes are open. He's given new life. Right? Not because he came with this impressive, Jesus, I, you, I deserve this. No, in fact, quite the opposite. He came with nothing. And that is the, really the heart of what, of what saving faith is. It, it's, it's realizing that, spiritually speaking, I got nothing. I, I just, I look to you. Have mercy. That's what, that's what saving faith is. Jesus, Jesus help. And that's not just the beginning of the Christian life. That's the whole thing. All right, so even if you've been a Christian for ages, realize this is, this is the theme of, of what your life is to be about, following Christ. We, we tend to get into these ruts of, okay, I got to impress Jesus today. You know, maybe maybe, it's, maybe you're, you got some difficult situation something you need Jesus' help with, it just seems too big, and you're, okay, I should pray about it, but okay, but if I'm going to come to Jesus, I've got to come with something impressive. 
right? Jesus, you really should, you really should help me in this situation because, well, um, did I do enough there? Oh, I did this, and I did go to church on Sunday, and please help me. But the whole theme of the Christian life really is, yeah, Jesus, there's nothing spiritually impressive about me. Have mercy on me. And there's the, there's the prayer that Jesus answers. Because the point of faith is not that we're impressive, but we're trusting in the one who has done it all. That's what faith is. And in fact, it's, it's, even, it's even more than this, that, that faith, true faith in Christ, can have this kind of messy, awkward quality about this. Um, you know, I, I, I was struck by this passage uh, some years ago, studying it, kind of picturing what this might look like. I mean, think about it. Here's this blind guy sitting, begging by the side of the road, and Jesus says, bring him here. What does it look like for a blind guy to get up and go over to Jesus? I mean, Mark actually says that the guy sprang up. So, so picture blind guy springing up and going over to Jesus. It's, it's not exactly this graceful, beautiful thing, right? It's this kind of like arms flailing, right? Where's Jesus? He's blind, right? Where, Jesus, where are you? You know, it, it doesn't look very impressive. It looks like messy. His cries out to Jesus, Right? Just desperate, loud, be quiet, be quiet. That, that I think, is, is, a, is a biblical quality of what faith is. It's not that faith is this really beautiful, impressive thing, that, that you know, the one impressive thing that we offer up to God. It's actually just this kind of arms flailing, awkward, God, I got nothing, but I got you. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Yeah, because you're trusting in me. Uh, right? God saves through faith. The faith isn't impressive. That's kind of awkward, messy looking. So, so if you're, if, if you're, you know, we tend to think in the Christian life, again, it's got to kind of look pretty and cleaned up. And if, if your faith in Christ has this kind of awkward flailing quality to it, like that's really okay. In fact, that's exactly highlighting what true faith in Christ is supposed to be, which is, I got nothing, but I'm trusting in you, Jesus. Where are you? And of course, he's near to us. We seek him, and we will find. So we look to, we look to him. And then the new life that comes from it, which is the other side of it. Verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight. And following God, glorify, and following Him, glorifying God, and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. So the blindness is this picture of our 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 darkness and sin, and so the recovery of His sight, this picture of salvation and the new life that we get in Christ through faith. Right? What did we What did we sing about a few minutes ago? I was blind, but now I see. Right? Amazing grace, how sweet! I was blind. Now I see. New life. New life in Christ. And it was. It was for this, this blind beggar. It was a completely new life. Um, there's a real sense in which it, it, he can't go back. I mean, just on a practical level. Who was he? He was a, a blind guy who begged on the side of the road. Encounters Jesus. He can't exactly do that anymore. It's hard to, it's hard to be a, a blind beggar when you're not blind anymore. It's not going to work. Jesus kind of ruined that, the whole life for him. 
So now, I, okay, can't go back to doing that. I'll follow this Jesus. Praising God. Right? And that's the, that's the new life that God gives to us. Right? Completely transforming, opening our eyes, giving us the rescue. And there is a real sense in which uh, Jesus stepping into our life, he kind of ruined the old life for you. I can't exactly do that anymore. Um, but that's okay. That's actually good. I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to follow this Jesus, the one who saved me. Uh, glorifying God, singing along the way. New life, not because we do something impressive, but because Jesus steps into our world, he welcomes us, and gives us a, a whole new life. And now we just, we, we follow him, even imperfectly, uh, trusting and glorifying God. And we should connect this and realize this is not just an isolated thing that God does. You know, Jesus kind of like helps this guy over here and that guy over there. And this, is, this is a picture that's being painted of God's plan for the world. Remember how we started. God has a plan and he's, and he's bringing the plan into fruition. Well, part of one of the, we read one of the prophets this morning, didn't we? One of the ones who said that the plan was laid out ahead of time. So Isaiah 35, what did we read about? Well, one of the things we read there was that there was this day coming, Isaiah said through the Holy Spirit, this day coming when the blind were going to receive their sight. But it wasn't just a blind guy or two might, might, might be healed. It was a part of this complete and total transformation of God's will. So the blind received their sight. Yeah, but the deaf hear, and the desert wilderness has turned into a garden paradise, and, 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 and wild animals are no longer going to touch God's people. In fact, they're going to be able to, to journey in peace and safety. There's going to be there's going to be everlasting joy on their heads, God says. Um, that's what's coming, Isaiah says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, then you get to blind Bartimaeus and Jericho. And what you get in his life is this small taste of what Isaiah was promising. A blind guy who sees and walks away with joy on his head. Like all the other, combined with all the other miracles of Jesus, there's something important that God is saying. That, that this, this Isaiah 35 uh, transformed world uh, that God promised uh, with this episode of blind beggar and all the other miracles of Jesus, what God is saying is, look, that transformed world, that glorious kingdom to come, it's dawning right here, right in your life, Barnes. It's beginning because Jesus has arrived. It's not here in fullness. Right? We're still waiting. There's still a lot of darkness. There's still this, this world is still a wilderness, but not forever. The transformed, complete Isaiah 35 is coming. But what we get here is in Jesus, it's begun. It's dawning. It's, it, it's breaking into our world. And, and if you're a believer in Christ, this is, this is the story. This is your story. It's not just you as an isolated individual, but you're this little picture of the, the future kingdom breaking in. God showing in your life, look, the, the age to come, it's started. It's dawning in you. Look, you're rescued. 
because Jesus stepped into your world. Even as we wait for him to come back and, and bring the fullness, we can say to ourselves, look, it's already beginning in me. Right? And we can have a little taste here of, of the everlasting joy because God has opened our eyes. And it's, it's not because we've done something impressive. No, not at all. But because Jesus is impressive. Because he came as the son of David, and he came and he was treated as, as an outcast for us. And then he conquered the darkness by rising from the dead for us. And, and, and our faith is just coming with nothing but grabbing onto him, casting ourselves on him. And he delights uh, to rescue and save as we trust in him. And we become those pictures uh, of what is to come, even as we wait for it uh, with joy. So let's, let's look to this Jesus and trust him more and more. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, for your great love and your great plan of rescue. Thank you, Lord, that you delight to, to have mercy upon even those at the greatest distance, the greatest of outcasts, even us. We pray that we would, we would know and and rejoice in your mercies more and more and more, uh, even as we, we look to you. Strengthen us, Lord, even as we wait for the fullness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.